This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. conversations that I've been having over the last couple months or so in particular, but also because mentoring is just hot right now in UX. And when I say that, I do not mean that from a complimentary perspective. Uh, Mentoring is, well, I mean, think about it. But let's, uh, by way of very quick recap today, and I'm only going to cover a couple things with recap so we can dive right into today's topical coverage. Mentoring, basically, according to, to Mind Tools, is a relationship between two people. The goal of that relationship is for professional and personal development of the person who in that relationship is the mentee. The mentor is usually an experienced individual who shares knowledge, experience, and advice. And then there's a less experienced and up and coming person who operates as the mentee. The mentor is a coach. The mentor is a trainer. The mentor is a career consultant. And and as stated, mentoring is hot. And when I say that, again, to clarify, everybody seems to want a mentor. Everybody who's new to UX, everybody who's up and coming in UX, everybody wants a mentor. And a lot of people want a mentor because they just simply have heard that that's the thing to do. So this series is meant to right the ship regarding this whole topic because as is the case in a lot of areas, anytime you have people that are coming into something fresh and new, there's not a lot of critical thinking going on. There's people are getting into things pretty much blindly. They don't understand what's going on. There are a lot of people who want to be mentors. They don't understand what's what's going on either. And, and so we need to write this ship. There needs to be some clarity with regard to what mentoring is, what people are supposed to get out of it, and what we're going to cover tonight, as we have already expanded this. This was originally only going to be two weeks, but we're expanding, and it's going to be about four or five total before we're done with this. But you have to have certain characteristics. You can't just become a mentee. There there are requirements. And there are traits that people need to have in order to truly enter into that mentor-mentee relationship and actually get the benefits that we've been talking about in the series so far. So I want to talk to you tonight about five critical characteristics that people need in order to be qualified as a mentor. I mean, did you know that when you, when you want to go to a university, 
you can't just go to the university. You have to go through some type of an application process. Sometimes you have to talk to a counselor or a screener. And and a lot of times, especially depending upon the school you're going to, you have to compete with other people who also want to go to that school. And then they only accept X number of people into that, that institution of higher learning. In a lot of other places, all you have to do is show up with the money <laughs> you show up with the money and you're in. You don't you don't have to have certain traits. You don't have to have certain qualities. You don't have to have certain goals. You just come in and you go. And, and usually that's in for-profit institutions. And we're not necessarily shooting that down. I'm just trying to call out the facts here so that people understand. Because some people have no idea. You, they just think, oh, I want to go to Harvard. I just go. I want to go to UCLA. I just go. I want to go to University of Texas. I just go. No, you have to go through a process and you have to be considered the cream of that particular crop in order to get into that institution. That's the way that it works. Now, mentoring is basically, even though there's no written law that states this, these are just facts. Because, and I said this to someone recently, and they didn't believe me. I'm going to talk about that a little bit too. I said, you can't help everybody. And, and someone someone with far less experience. And some people get upset when you say things like that. Folks, we need to start becoming more fact hungry. (laughs) People need to stop being offended by truth. When when you're offended by truth, you've already lowered the ceiling of, of your potential. So please don't do that to yourself. I told the person you can't help everybody. And they say, well, I don't, I don't get that. I don't, I don't understand. I don't agree. I'm twice as old as the person that said it. I'm telling you (laughs) that as a person who used to believe that you could help everybody, I had to learn the hard way and, 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 and almost to the point where it cost me my life. Literally, you, you can't help everybody. Everybody doesn't want help. Uh, Matter of fact, if you do some studying on narcissism, you will find that narcissists love to come across people who feel like they want to help everybody, and then the narcissist just milks you dry. They they understand that you have this need to aid and support people, and they just take advantage of that. So there's a group of people right there. You can't help them. And, and don't talk to me about the outliers in the world of narcissism that you can't help. On average, you can't help them. They don't want to be helped, and they actually find it offensive when, when it comes to, to help many times and, and will automatically, they will never ask for help even when they need it. They reject help when you offer it and it's blatantly obvious that help is needed. Uh, that's what we're talking about. So there are some people you can't help because they won't receive it. There are some people that, that you can't help because they just reject it. There are some people that you can't help because as you're going to see here shortly, they have certain traits. There are certain certain things about their personality, the way that they operate, the way that they think that actually operates as, as pretty much like setting up a dam to keep things that would benefit them from, from being able to sink in. They, they, they just simply can't accept it because their mindset is contrary to the help that's being offered to them. So anyway, let's dive in. But let's dive in. I mean, th- this is what the mentee is about, right? The mentee is the person that's receiving. And the mentee is a person that will benefit tremendously from some help. So consider these five things. If you are a person out there 
who is looking to be mentored, you're looking for someone to help you, you must have these five things in place. I'm going to name them and then we're going to break them down for you. Number one, honesty. You have to be honest. Number two, you have to be humble. And I'm pretty much guaranteeing you, many of you out there, what I'm going to say about humility is something that you're not going to, it's going to be off the beaten path. It's not going to be the stereotypical mindset, but humility is number two. Number three, self-awareness, which is a big part of emotional intelligence. And again, we'll break that down. Number four is critical thinking, which is a core part of what we need, a quality we need as UX professionals, but it also must be there from a mentee standpoint, because again, if you don't have it, you're, you're not going to be able to go anywhere. It's going to stop you dead in your tracks. And number five, The number five critical element that a person must have from a characteristic perspective, from a personality perspective, is that of patience. So let's dive in. Honesty, humility, self-awareness, critical thinking, and patience. Number one, honesty. What does that mean? Honesty means that you are free of deceit, free of guile, and free of ulterior motives. That's the first note that I want to share about that. There are people out there that claim that they want to be mentees, even some people who say that they want to be mentors. Actually, when you really think about it, and deceit and trickery, which is the next point, to be void void of lying, stealing, and trickery. I might as well group these two together. People engage in trickery. They say that they want help, but they really want to to, um, take information in from someone who is in the position of the mentor and folks, they actually go out and take the things that they get from the mentor. And then they go out and try to position themselves as an influencer in UX, or they go out and call themselves mentoring other people. When the truth is they really, that relationship is a complete masquerade. It's a sham. And the person is just milking for information. It's really interesting how, how, common this is and how frequently it happens today in UX, but you must be free of deceit. You must be free of guile. You cannot have any ulterior motives in what you're doing from a mentee perspective. You cannot be a person who's willing to lie. You cannot steal. That includes plagiarism, folks, and you can't engage in trickery. These things are contrary to the mentor-mentee relationship. They're contrary to your ascension as a UX practitioner, all of these things will work against you. I mean, uh, uh, think about it. If you're functioning as a UX professional and you're engaging in deceit, guile, trickery, and lying with your clients and stakeholders, how long do you think that relationship is going to really last? How how much value do you think you're going to bring? I, I am always one who who has talked about the importance of ethics in UX. If you're going to thrive, ethics is at the core of what we do. If you're going to build the reputation of the team or yourself as an individual, ethics are going to be a critical part of that. So if you don't embrace ethics, which means you're going to be free of deceit, guile, ulterior motives, dot, 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 um, then you're going to stop dead in your tracks. People are eventually are going to see what's going on. They're not going to want to engage with you. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to support you. And so those types of things are, they're very counterproductive. They are just completely destructive and we got to steer clear of that. But again, if you want to be a mentee, make sure that you are honest 
That is going to be critical. And all of that, when you wrap all that together, it looks like what I have down here for point number three is that of transparency. You have to be transparent. Be willing. I mean, it's really powerful to be transparent, to be willing to let somebody know who you are, where you're coming from, what your motives are, what your goals are, to to have those things out on the table for people to see and to judge. It takes courage to do that, which is another trait that I didn't include here with the five, but that's, we're talking about mentors and mentees. That's something that I'll talk about at another time. But you have to be transparent, folks. Let folks know who you are. You're really putting yourself in a position of extreme vulnerability when you do that. And what I love about being transparent, I'm willing for somebody to know who I am. And if they can't deal with that, then good. Then I find out who they are and then I can navigate where I'm going because of what I've discovered because somebody else doesn't appreciate the transparency. And when you come across people that are not honest, they will not appreciate your transparency. And now you can make some decisions about what you're going to do with that, with that relationship. But again, you want to be a mentee, you want to qualify, please make sure that you are honest. Point number two, you must be humble. Now, this one, I, I sort of get a little bit of a chuckle because when you talk about humility, people will gravitate toward the stereotypical definition that it means that you're, you have a mindset as practically any def, uh, uh, dictionary you look at will say, you have a mindset that's void of self-importance and you don't think of yourself to be better than other people. And they'll go, yes, that is humility. Uh, I contend today that it's actually somewhat erroneous from the perspective that it's actually an incomplete definition. That is not all that humility is. It is a nice foundation. It helps us to understand where we're going, but in order to truly understand what it means to be humble, we have to go forward a few additional steps. So think about it from, from the perspective of etymology. Look at the words that come together to try to shape what that's getting at. And the words that come that make up the word humble, humility, that all of that, all those derivatives of those terms, it really is about being lowly. Now, somebody will say, well, Darren, that, that's the same thing, isn't it? You're, you're void of self-importance and you, you don't think of yourself to be better than anybody else. And I say, no, it, it, it still is falling short. Lowly with regard to what? So I want you to think about this from a practical perspective in that we're not just talking about being lowly. You're not walking around with your head down and won't look anybody in the eye. I mean, because you could really... Uh, go to the nth degree and hyperbolize a bit and sort of have some fun with what it means to be lowly and humble for that matter, and you'll miss the mark every time. Here's what it really means to be humble. Does it mean that you are void of self-importance? Yes, basically speaking, yes. But, you know, sometimes you need if you're important, you might need to know that because knowing you're important will help, help you to navigate what you're doing. It doesn't mean that you're on a pedestal you don't have to be on a on a pedestal because you're important, uh, but know who you are. I mean, that that's the self-awareness that we're about to get into in just a moment here. But know who you are, but don't put yourself on a pedestal. And, and that actually, there's an element of humility there because there's an element of honesty there. 
uh, but you don't have to put yourself above anybody. That that actually, I, I contend that that's a, a pretty foolish concept in that how many people have you ever really run into? It's, I know I know these people exist. These people are out there, but it's not very common. It, people don't say, I'm better than you. Move back. Let me go first. You, you know, you, you don't really have, it, it happens. I've seen it. I've experienced it in my life. It doesn't really, that mindset, because it's such an outlier type of an experience and that we don't really see it a whole lot, it, it doesn't really lend itself to to helping us to digest what it means to be humble. Especially, I, mean, I mean, if you really want to be humble, you need to digest the mindset, and this is where I'll build on it, that you're void of self-importance and that, yeah, you're not going to put yourself above people. Don't, don't, don't put your thumb on people. Don't put your foot on people. Yeah, that part is dead on accurate, but it's, again, it's not enough. Humble also includes the willingness of a person to be subjected to standards and principles. And that's where the lowly thing comes in. See, because the opposite is arrogance. Arrogance is when somebody is very presumptuous. They're audacious. They have a tendency to, no matter what the standard is, they're just going to exalt themselves above that because, hey, I'm Joe Blow. And so they're going to put themselves above that. That's arrogance, the opposite of humility, pride, same same arena, the opposite of humility. Those kind of people, one of the key things about understanding arrogance and pride is that arrogance and pride dictate themselves, the people who walk, who operate there, they dictate to themselves that they are better. That's where that better than better than comes from. But it's not necessarily better than other people as we think. It's I'm better than you. This is what they're getting at. So there are rules, there are principles, there are standards, but uh, I don't have to abide by that. I can do what I want to do. That's the concept of humility from a practical perspective that it's important that we understand. You have a lot of people who They don't want standards. They don't want to know what principles are. They don't know uh, or or have any interest, I should say, in in what the guidelines are of the best practices in association with growing yourself in UX. So they want to do what they want to do no matter what. A little bit of patience in there that I'm sort of touching on here. That's the opposite of humility, folks. That's your arrogance. That's your pride. But when you're humble, hey, You find out this is what you need to do to grow. This is what you need to do to thrive. This is the process you need to take if you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And and don't think that you're so entitled or that you're in such a status that you don't need to go the same route. You do. See, that's humility. I'm going to go this way no matter who I am, no matter what I've done, no matter what family I've come from, no matter how rich we are, no matter. I mean, you, you can just come up with a whole list of excuses that, that you've seen or been a partaker of yourself where people want to go around. They want to circumvent the process of growth and maturity in UX for whatever the reason might be. I've seen people who have that mindset, but Nobody gets around the process. Nobody has a special path. There are not any shortcuts to growing in UX. So if you're humble, you'll face that. That's another aspect too, by the way. Humility is where a person will see the truth and just embrace it. 
A lot of people won't. You you tell them what the truth is, and they will do everything they can and fight hook, line, and sinker to do everything but this thing that has been proven to be a viable mode or a viable means of growth if you go this route. So please, please, please make sure that you are humble. Be willing to be subjected to standards and practices, and in so doing, you will be lowly. So you see the practical aspect now? So that's what we're needed. Quality number three that's required in order to be a, a, a mentee, self-awareness. One of the first and one of the main parts associated with emotional intelligence is defined as a conscious knowledge of one's own character, one's own feelings, one's own motives, and one's own desires, and couple that with honesty. It's not like you can take three of these and not the other two, folks. All of these go together. So when you're honest and you're self-aware, you don't see who you are and then pretend like it's not there. If you have a quality about yourself that is contrary to the growth, to the ascension that you should be be uh, 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 partaking of as a UX professional, you gotta, when you find those traits, you gotta let them go. Be aware. This is not good. I need to stop being like this. This is good. I need to, I need to continue to grow in this area. Be honest, be self-aware. And so I'm going to add something onto that as well, though. That definition is something you can just see it on the internet. Just look up self-awareness definition. You'll see that. I got to add a piece because I think they miss something, especially when I think about people growing in UX. You have to be conscious of your current state. That is a critical part of self-aware. I, I saw a person once that was up and coming in UX, a new UXer, and somebody was trying to comfort them. And that's something that's really big in UX. Somebody's always trying to coddle people. Well, by the way, you cannot have an appetite for coddling and truly growing UX. And so everybody was trying to tell the person, oh, you got this. Oh, you're going to be okay. And blah, blah, blah. And, and that's all fine and dandy, but it's very generic. And, and when you hear that kind of generic encouragement instead of something specific, there's going to be some problems with that. And somebody came along and they said, yeah, don't tell it. Don't let anybody tell you that you're a beginner. You're not a beginner. And actually, the person was a beginner. So where do you think you're going to grow? How do you think you're truly going to progress if you're not facing the facts of who you are? That person was a beginner in UX. That person had been UX for that long. And so if you've been in UX for that long and then somebody says, don't let them tell you that you're a beginner and the person is trying to get an entry-level job because they are a beginner and they haven't had a job yet, how, how far do you think you're going to go if you were engaging in self-denial? Also, if you're not self-aware, how, how and when are you going to understand when you have grown? You need to know where you are. I mean, I can look back at myself 15 years ago, 10 years ago. I see the growth I, and I identify exactly who I was. Maybe not 100%, but enough to be able to at least navigate things. There's, nobody's going to know who they are 100%. You simply aren't going to do that. It, it, it's impossible to do. But you can have a general idea that is uh, within a certain uh, um, a certain aspect of, of uh, how can I say here, accuracy. You want to at least have some type of an accurate perspective on who you are because if you don't, how do you know when to grow? 
How do you know when you have grown? How do you know how to apply yourself and and what to focus on? So please strive to be self-aware. Number four, critical thinking. And, And according to one of my favorite organizations, the Foundation for Critical Thinking, critical thinking is the intellectually disciplined process, a bunch of people just got off the bus right there, of actively and skillfully conceptualizing, applying, analyzing, synthesizing, and or evaluating information gathered from or generated by observation, experience, reflection, reasoning, or communication as a guide to belief and action. So in other words, you do certain things or you believe certain things because you have processed things so that you can understand what's north, what's east, what's south, what's west. You understand it and you are always laboring to make sure that you are as accurate as you can possibly be and then using that as the basis for why you do what you do. It is a critical part of the decision-making process. And when critical thinking is missing, all you have left is whimsy. UX and whimsy are not good bedfellows. We need to understand why we're doing what we're doing. This is a discipline of deliberation. The things that we do are deliberate. We have data behind it. We have something that substantiates it, and we go. We don't spitball. That's not us. There's a time to spitball. But as in, in general, when it comes to the discipline, this is not a spitballing discipline. We don't thrive where the spitballs exist. And if you do spitball, you turn around and you subject it to testing so you can get some data. But in general, that's not where we live. Critical thinking is where the UX professionals live. There was another note on that, on that site, and I want to mention this as well. It said, in its exemplary form, still talking about critical thinking, it's based on universal intellectual values that transcend subject matter divisions. And here they are. Clarity, this is what we strive for. Accuracy, precision, consistency, relevance, sound evidence, good reasons and reasoning, depth, breadth, and here comes the beautiful one, equity or fairness. These are all the factors that are a constant part of critical thinking. And if your thinking is void of these things, folks, it's not critical, and you need. if you're self-aware of that, ah, I'm not really thriving with critical thinking, go and dive in. I just put together a critical thinking book list. Go out to Medium and check it out and, 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 and step up your game, level up. If you don't have something, nobody's trying to rule you out. Nobody's writing you off. When you find out self-awareness, when you find out you lack somewhere, just go and get it. Uh, every, every aspect of growth is there for the taking. All you have to do is apply yourself and you can get there. Number five, and we wrap up here today, is patience. And some people might find it strange that I'm adding this on. Some people are wondering why we're even talking about this. This is a UX podcast. Try to do UX without these things I'm talking about and watch and see how far you go. And then on the flip side, try to do UX and embrace these things and watch and see how well it vaults you forward. So number five is patience. You have to be Patience And basically, patience is about not having a need to grow or ascend too quickly. 
There's way too many people who want to do things fast in UX. They want to learn everything. I I saw uh, another school that popped up, and most of the schools today, they're, they're very predatory trying to teach people about UX. They're run by people that don't have much experience. They're run by people with no educational backgrounds at all. They're run by people who, who've been doing UX for a hot minute and somebody liked what they did. So they run out and they decide they're going to educate everybody and they don't really have a foundation. They really don't have what I call the UX cycle of excellence. Everybody should be doing that. These people haven't done any of the things in the first three aspects of, of, the UX cycle of excellence, but they're going to teach you that that's the, the, I've talked about this before. That's the older kid trying to raise the younger kid. And that's never really a good thing. And I'm not talking about those stories we've heard where it actually worked in general. It doesn't. And some of us have experienced it in our lifetime. When you got left with the older kid, Oh my goodness, that was, (laughs) that's like herding cats. And it just, it just doesn't work. And there's not a lot that comes out of that. You survive it. But did you thrive because of it? And, and the answer is no. And that, that's the dynamic that, that we have in the midst of this today. So you can't want to grow too fast. And these people, I mentioned that one, the, the, these people say that you can become confident in UX after 12 weeks. Nobody's confident in UX after 12 weeks. And to even promise somebody that they're going to get that and then charge you $6,000, to get confidence in 12 weeks, that's another empty proposal, another empty promise that somebody is making. And that should let you know, caveat emptor, keep moving, not a good thing. And and as long as those kind of places keep popping up and they are popping up everywhere, the discipline gets hurt. The discipline is detrimentally impacted every time somebody does that and every time somebody enrolls. You gotta have a better filter than that. But at any rate, more about patience. Next point, being fair with yourself is is a part of patience. There are a lot of people, they're simply not patient with themselves when it comes to growing. And in the discipline, you gotta give yourself time to grow. You have to give yourself time to mature. You have to give yourself time to understand and and learn what direction do you wanna go in UX? What do you wanna specialize in? Do you wanna be a specialist? Do you wanna be someone who's more, well-versed and well-rounded, which I highly recommend that you do that because when you when you get that, that more well-rounded education in UX, understanding of UX, if you do choose to specialize, you bring more to the table as a specialist than somebody that goes straight into a specialization. They don't, they won't have enough. They won't understand enough about what they're trying to specialize in and then their activity, their growth, their maturity will actually be slowed Because there's just a lot about UX that they don't know or understand. And we'll talk about that another time. But you've got to be patient and fair with yourself. Don't expect too much of yourself too fast. Just because somebody else is, they're setting you up for failure. I'm warning you about that now. Again, as the people say, oh, you can build your confidence in 12 weeks. As a a 27-plus-year practitioner, I'm telling you no. Instead of trying to put a timeline on it, how about you just keep growing? Because walking and operating in UX is a commitment to lifelong learning. So why put a timeline on it? Why put a limit on it? Just keep growing. And don't worry about the time frame because it's going to take care of itself. 
Next, and akin to that, you want to be void of having a microwave mentality. And I say that from time to time. A lot of people, they want it now. If it's not 12 weeks, I've, I saw one where they said nine days. That's not happening, folks. It's not going to happen in six months. And even the those programs, they lack the educational prowess. They don't, they aren't structured properly when it comes to a the andragogical perspective or from a pedagogical perspective. And then they're telling you what you're going to do in six months. And a lot of them do that. Matter of fact, a lot of the places with these pop-up educational facilities or resources don't have educators who are, who are serving as the backbone of those organizations. So then it's impossible for things to be structured properly because just like UX is a science, so is instructional design. And a lot of people don't, don't have that. And then they try to put together an educational program and it ends up lacking something. So that, that's a problem folks. And, and it doesn't mean that the people behind the place need to have that, but they have to have people on board to help them with that so that they are covered when it comes to the, the science of instructional design else else if that doesn't happen the learning experience is going to suffer just so you know so don't have a microwave mentality don't put your ux career in the microwave and it'll be done in a minute lose that mentality it's not going to help you and if you're trying to grow and move too fast you need to go back and reassess whether or not ux is for you if you just determined to make it happen fast you'll believe that it happened fast and it really didn't or won't. You can even get a job somewhere and you'll think that you're growing fast, but because you're in a place, and I've seen people do this, you're in a place where the UX maturity level is almost non-existent, so you don't have the the reference points that you need to be able to understand where you are. You're not in an organization that's helping to support your self-awareness, folks. So make sure that you're void of that today. And the last point with regard to patience, and this is something that it's almost like the, it's my end note, but I'm grouping it in with patience. I talk to people all over the world on a regular basis. I talk to other people who talk to people everywhere on a regular basis. We all share notes. We all talk about what our observations are, what our experiences are like. And there is one common thread that I just want to put out there because I want people to be aware of it. The people who are doing it, I, I challenge you to overcome it. Become self-aware if you're doing it and and renounce this thing. Let it go. Stop doing it. A lot of people who want help from mentors, they it, it's interesting how they want help so badly, and you can see it. They don't value the time of the person who's providing them the support. It, it's really rude. That people will do this. The people who are worth talking to are quite busy. You'll come across a lot of people that seem to have time. If folks have a whole bunch of time for you to the point where they don't have any time for themselves, something's wrong because no matter who you are and no matter where you are on your UX journey, everybody has to engage in X amount of time for self-maintenance and upkeep. You have to spend time so you can grow. You need to sharpen your saw a little bit. The, the, the saw that's always cutting but is never being sharpened eventually loses its edge. And so folks need to be more respectful when you're approaching somebody and asking for time. People just barge in. They want to set all kinds of weird 
meeting times. They want to meet right in the middle of the workday. They they know you have a job, and many of them don't. And so, oh, well, you know, uh, I don't have a job, but you do. But can we meet during your workday? How silly is that? If, if <laughs> frankly, for I just got to be frank about that. If you you if you want to grow, put yourself in the other person's shoes. You want to be in UX, be empathetic as a mentee, and make sure that you're exercising the prop, proper levels of respect, courtesy. Don't be rude. Don't be demanding. Don't be selfish. All those things will come back and they will haunt you as an aspiring UX practitioner. So please, 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 I, I, I can't say it enough. Please value the time of the mentors and make sure that you're, when you get somebody's time, be appreciative of it. I'm not saying to give anybody money. I'm not, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about the attitudinal aspect of it today. It, it, it's really interesting how often I witness people just give me your time. That's not what they said, but that's what they, that's how, that's what their behavior is saying. And folks need to be more respectful of that. And, and you'll find when the time comes that you start mentoring people, if you don't understand what I'm saying now, you will, when you see people coming out of the woodwork and everybody wants your time and nobody is considerate about what you need. As a mentor, folks, it's a two way street, but not as you suppose. There needs to be respect. There needs to be some type of a reciprocal attitude there where the the mentor is giving, giving, giving. The least you could do is, is be respectful of that person's time and their life. They are taking time out of their schedule to help you. So show some gratitude. <laughs> Have some class, folks. Have some class. Uh, the people who don't show it, they're not going to go far because that lack of empathy that you demonstrate for the mentor is going to show up in the way that you engage with your with your stakeholders, with your clients, with your team members later on. And again, it's going to come back and it's going to bite you. And you do not want to experience that. So again, folks, five characteristics. Make sure you have them. Be honest. Be humble. Be self-aware, embrace critical thinking, don't go anywhere without it, and please, please, please be patient. It is worth its weight in gold, and you will be glad you did. So folks, that is all the time we have for today, and we will continue another week or two on this subject, but thanks for taking the time to tune in to the world of UX today, but it is time to sign off. So this is your host of the world of UX, Darren Hood. Have a good one, everybody. And until next time, happy UXing. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.